You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. We've talked about wanderers, the doubtful wanderer, the fearful wanderer. Last week we talked about the sensual wanderer. We've been using this verse, James 5, and it's a verse that says something to the church. It says in verse 19, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, I've got some, I've got some news for you. If God would use you to be a, a tool to bring somebody back, then I want you to know something. If you do that, if you bring somebody back, you will save a soul from death. If you bring somebody back, you will cover a multitude of sins. And isn't that what the church is all about? Should it not be that our church is a place of love and, and, of, and of acceptance? And, and when the wanderer comes home, it's, there's no judgment. There's just simply love. We begin to see God's will in that. I got into my office this morning after having been gone for several days to a state tournament. And as I got there, I noticed there was a letter from prison on my desk. I just went through my mail and I thought, well, this will be interesting. Sometimes I get letters from jail, they're asking for money. Just somebody that maybe found our, found us on the website or found something. But I got this in the mail. I read it this morning at about seven o'clock. And I highlighted some things. I, I'm not going to read it all. There's a lot of details. There's names, there's people. There's, I, I, I'm not going to expose any of that. But think about this. I honestly don't know how to start this letter off. I know that you're a very busy man. I went to church. For years, I played basketball in the Christian school league, and I grew up around you and your church and around your boys. I went to church camp and heard you preach many times in the summer. During one of your sermons, the Lord spoke to me and told me to go to Bible college, and he gave me the faith to step out and decide to become a missionary. I took a picture with you. I still have that picture. Well, we ended up moving to Texas and I joined Christ Church Baptist Fellowship, Pastor Johnny Pope. But then things changed. And he gives some details. It had nothing to do with joining that church, just details about things that changed in his life. And he said, all my dreams were taken away. I lost my friends. One thing led to another. And now I'm in prison for the third time. I got mad at my family. I got mad at God. Like Adam, I bit off the fruit and I ran from God. Throughout this time, I stopped and took a glimpse at my life. I stopped. I stopped and took a glimpse of my life and whom I had become. And I decided I had enough. And I prayed and the Lord started a, a good work in me. And the story goes on. And I'll not read any more of the story. But if you think it is an accident that I received this letter and read it on the morning of my last sermon preaching on the prodigal son. You're, you're so foolish to think that. Because no question in my mind, God orchestrated that letter. And I'll respond and reach with loving arms to a prodigal that is coming back home. But I say this to everyone in this room. Do not, do, do not exempt yourself from this message. Do not look at yourself as having arrived. Or, or do not look at yourself as someone who, who does not need this. Please, every one of us listen under the sound of my voice. That, that some of us, we may not be in that deep sin that, that the prodigal was or ended up being in. But we could be a few decisions away from a really bad place. And so I want you to look at Luke 15. At the most famous wanderer in all of scripture. 
In just, just a moment, we're going to try and answer the question, why does the willful wanderer leave? We're going to try to answer that question. That is a very hard question to answer. Why does the willful, not the doubtful, not the fearful, uh, not, not the sensual, the willful wanderer? Because I'm, 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 this morning, I'm going to be honest and say, who, who does that? I mean, when I read this story of the prodigal son, the parable here, I'm, I'm wondering as, as I read the story, why would you do what he did? When you've got a home, and if I could add to it, maybe a church and, and, a, and a loving family, well, why would you do that? Luke 15, verse 11 says, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided the property between them. Who does that? I mean, why would you leave your father, your mother, your safe surroundings, the protection of a home? Let me answer the question. Are you ready? It's real simple. Here it is. Write it down. It's a matter of the will. There is no logic explanation. It is a matter of the will. You will never understand the willful wanderer intellectually. It's not possible. I can trust me. I've tried. I, I've been behind the desk or uh, across the couch from many a parent who is looking for answers, and there really are none. You'll never get your mind around it because it doesn't make sense. But at the root of the willful wanderer is one word, and it's a word we can make sense of. It's a word we can understand, and it's the word control. Because the willful wanderer is all about control. Anything that threatens control is a problem for the willful wanderer. So let's begin to answer that question. Then why does the willful wanderer leave? Number one, because authority threatens their control. Authority. Notice in Luke chapter 15, the authority in this story is the father. The, the, there was a man who had two sons, and the, and the younger said unto him, Father, we don't know what all he said. We don't know what went, came right after that it, it necessarily, if this scenario were played out in detail. But we do know he said, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Notice here, he was the younger son. We're not sure. Maybe he was spoiled. A lot of younger sons are spoiled. Maybe he was just way too protected. But even in those situations, I mean, I, I was protected. And, and, and there, were, there were rules in my home. And, and there were things that, 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 that authority had over me. And, and, and I didn't wander like that. I, I, I don't know that those are really reasons in this particular story we need to consider. But, but notice how he viewed authority. What should have been a blessing to this man was a burden. What he should have seen as provision and protection, he saw as a problem because of control. He wanted control. This is the way it always is with the willful wanderer. Any source of authority threatens control. Here is the, the young boy that says, it's my car. You can't tell me where to go and where I can't go. I'm sick and tired of you telling me when I've got to come home. This is my car. It's my life. This is the husband that says, look, I've just got to have some time. I mean, look, I know I'm hanging out with my buddies. Look, I don't have to tell you when I come home all the time. This is the prince. This is the child who says to the principal, I'm just tired of all your stupid rules. I don't even like school. And there's really no logic in their thinking. 
You can't really make sense of it. Look at verse 12, if you would, uh, uh, just a moment, and, 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 and see if you can make sense of this. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Now, just for a moment, stop and notice the request. The son says to the father, give me my property. What I want the father to say in the story to make me feel really good is this. No, boy. You hear me? It's real easy for those of us that want to be God in the story, kind of tell God how to tell it. We've never been there. And those of you that have been there know what I'm talking about because the more you threaten, the farther they go away. Sometimes we think we've just got to have it our way and we need to understand this, that any assertion of authority sometimes with the willful wanderer makes it worse. It pushes them farther away. So first of all, it's just authority threatens their control. But secondly, proximity threatens their control. The last thing that the willful wanderer wants is the authority looking at them and telling them what to do. They want their, finish it, give me my space. Get out of my face and give me my space. Verse number 13 kind of gives us a little picture of that when it says, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had. And he took a journey into a far country. I'm getting as far away from the proximity of authority and and, and people trying to control me as I possibly can. The last thing the willful wanderer wants is to have somebody looking at them and telling them what to do. How painful must it have been for those parents to watch their son pack his bags and leave? And why are they doing this? I mean, I'm looking at this guy thinking... Dude, don't you see your future? Why can't you see what this is going to do and how this is? No, no. Because they're they're not thinking about the future. They're just thinking about them and now. It's not about the future. The will for wanderers threatened by the authority. They're threatened by proximity. So so first of all, they, they have to get away from the person and they have to get away from the place. But really, let me tell you what it is. It's number three, and that is this, that policy threatens control. They have to get away. What they really want to get away from is not the person or the place. It is the, the policy, the rules. They're just tired of rules. Any system of rules that would dictate to them that they would have to do it a certain way or, 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 or as long as they live here, this is the basis of how they have to live. That threatens their, their, their control and it, it, it barges in their, uh, their, their space and they don't like that. That's why in verse 13 it says, he squandered his property in reckless living. He squandered it all in reckless living Because freedom was his idol. We have to be careful as Christians that we don't get caught up in this freedom movement and not understand what freedom really is. Because if you are truly free in Christ, then you may be the one who obeys the book more than anyone else and understands what holiness is more than anyone else. Freedom in Christ is not to become your idol in the sense that you can do whatever you want to do. Somehow freedom has become the idol of many a wanderer. And in the name of I'm free in Christ, they are ruining their lives. And it's becoming very, very sad and confusing. I almost feel like the parents were shown some mercy when he went to the far country. 
Because I can tell you, when you have a prodigal that is in the same town that you live in, it's hard to watch. It's hard to watch every time they come back to your door and ask for more money or a bed to sleep in. It's hard to have to go visit them right across town at the local jail cell. It's hard to deal with it when it's so close. But this man went to a far country, and I almost feel like it might have been a blessing to the parents because they didn't have to watch it happen every day. Three reasons why people hate rules. Let me give you that. Just think about this. First of all, could it be that they just have a lack of faith? They just have a lack of faith in believing that God's rules are good. Choose to sin, choose to suffer. I mean, but, but if you choose to obey, I can promise you God's rules are there for our protection. They're there for our good. But the willful wanderer sees the rules as, as just, what well, well, they just, they just, I don't see how they can be good because I don't get to do what I want to do. And, and, and they're, they, you know, they just see, bother me because I, I, I don't have control of my life and somebody else has a little bit of control and, and then they get upset. It goes back to that control thing, but it really boils down to, I hate the rules because I just don't believe God is good and that these rules are good for me. Number two, they have a lack of humility. And this may be the big one because they're too stubborn to admit they're wrong. And you find the willful wanderer oftentimes is running as far away from God as he can. And, and he, he, may, he may know that this is beginning to fall apart, but he's not about to admit it. There's no humility. They have a lack of humility. Thirdly, they have a lack of self-control because they're driven by their own desire and they're blind to the realities of where this is leading. You can see all these three, three things, really, in the life of P.T. Barnum in that movie. All three of these things you can see as he gets farther and farther away from home and comes on the cusp of having an adulterous affair with a woman. And that's where many are maybe in this room right now. It's a lack of faith. It's a lack of humility. It's a lack of self-control. You're becoming blinded to the realities of where your wandering will lead you. So why does the willful wanderer leave? Well, let's just boil it down to one word, control. But number two, when does the willful wanderer come back home? It, it, does he ever come home? Will he come home? Can he come home? Well, I believe there's something we need to understand, and that is this, that circumstance needs to break the wanderer's will. It's not going to be an argument. Listen, arguments or proof of their foolishness is not going to bring them home. Sometimes we, we enjoy the argument. We enjoy telling them things like, you ain't doing this as long as it's under my roof. And, and I've seen parents and children fight, literally fist fights. You're not getting anywhere with a fist fight with your child. Forced conformity is not going to bring them back home. At times you've watched me raise my children and maybe you've wandered a little bit. You know, I just don't know why the preacher's letting this kid get away with that. I wasn't letting my kid get away from that. I was just giving them a little space to figure things out. And I was talking to them the whole time. And you see, because you're not going to see perfect little prisses as pastor's kids around here, you're going to see kids with faults and a parent who's working through those faults and not stuffing his faith down their throats. And so all, kids, all my kids are in church today by the grace of God and because I've not forced them to conform to my set of rules. And that's why I left fundamentalism, because you couldn't stay in that 
ridiculous religion based on forcing everybody to fit. That's why we've got kids strung out all over the world on dope and, 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 and messed their lives. Because we tried to force them into this little tiny hole. We didn't give them any space to be who they were because we weren't comfortable with it. Well, so sad, bro. Listen. It's a different society we live in. Little different look of clothes, little different style of music. It's not going to always fit exactly where you're at. And there's a thousand different things to consider. Hairdos is one of them. Remember when old Joe grew his hair long? Everybody was like, well, what's going on? What's Joe doing? He's figuring things out. Actually, he looked pretty good, you know, when he combed it. (laughs) Which he didn't do most of the time. (laughs) And I'm not saying that's even sin. I'm simply saying, you were wondering what was going on, but the whole time, him and I were talking. We were just having a great day. It wasn't like every day I was saying, what's wrong with you? I was just saying, hey, so what, what do you think, and how do you think? And he said, tell me a little bit about it. And we, we had a great relationship through that whole thing, Joe. Not one time did we ever. In fact, I remember one time I went to Joe, and I said, uh, <clears throat> I said, Joe, I said, what happens if one of the Pharisees, you know, comes up to me and says, well, I just think your son is offending me with that long hair. I said, what do you want me to do? Give me an answer, son. Because I didn't know what to say to somebody that would come to me because we'd never really had, you know, anybody on staff or a preacher, this kid with hair that was longer than this, you know. (laughs) And you know what Joe looked at me and said, I mean, without a blush, without a stutter, he just said, Dad, if anybody says that, just let me know. I wouldn't want to offend anybody. I'll cut it. And I'm like, dude, this kid's close to God. That's a better answer than most church members would have given. He didn't want to hurt anybody. He was just just finding himself, just enjoying something different. And sometimes I think we just don't let our kids in, have any space to grow because we're always pushing on them to be like us. That's not going to get you anywhere. Now, now, hopefully you're mature enough to kind of read between the lines because I don't have enough time to put on a parent seminar right now because i got to move on. But the truth of the matter is, is, is there's a lot we can learn from this story. I mean, more than I could ever cover, but this is amazing. Not forced conformity. Here is how the willful wanderer, wanderer will come back home. Are you ready? Are you ready? Ready for the answer? Drum roll. The car has to explode. An explosion has to happen. And God has to do it. You don't need to explode. God will form the explosion. Trust me. And and, and it won't actually be a car. God will do it. Look at the text. Three things must happen before the willful wanderer will come back home. Number one, first explosion. You ready? Can you hear the explosion? Here it is. Pockets must be empty. To, 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 to a willful wanderer, that's an explosion when they're dead broke. Because they, they, they've, had, they've had it all and they've spent it all. And now, what do I do now? That's the first explosion. Look at it, if you will, in our text in verse number 14. It says here, and when he had spent everything. Now, I'm going to try to exegete the scriptures. I have a fellow missionary Bible scholar with me, Kevin Connor. Kevin, uh, we both went to Bible college and got degrees. So let's discover... What does scripture mean here? Uh, It says he spent everything. Kevin, what does that mean? He didn't have any money. Thank you. You say, no, no, it's got, no, no, that's exactly, he didn't have one penny. I mean, if we take it literally, it doesn't take a Bible scholar to figure this out. You got it. 
He spent everything he had. He was broke. He had nothing left. Read the rest of verse 14 here. Look at it with me. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. He thought he had so much that would last so long, didn't he? But now he has nothing. Now he realizes it's not what I thought. Now he realizes what I thought was fun is not fun anymore. Now he realizes I, well, it's not as free as I thought it was because Satan promises freedom, but he gives bondage and slavery and addiction and devastation and disease because he is a liar. And the only worse thing than falling for Satan's lies is falling for it for a lifetime. You may have fallen for his lies, but you don't have to fall anymore from now on. These eyes will not be blinded by the lights. From now on, what's waited till tomorrow starts tonight. It starts tonight. You see, you don't have to wander anymore. So this is a call to the willful wanderer to come home. Their pockets must be empty. That's the first explosion, but that's not the only one. You would think he'd come back, wouldn't you? I mean, like, here he comes. No, he's not. The second explosion is this. The party must be ended. Look at verse 15. It says here, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country. First of all, I'm sure when his parents got word that he actually got a job, they were in shock. You know? Because the willful wanderer, I mean, you know, he runs out of money. Now he's got to go work, actually. So he goes and gets a job. It's kind of a strange thing for a wanderer to do, but he does, he does get the job. Look at it. And they sent him into the fields to feed pigs. If you know anything about a Jewish boy going into the fields to feed pigs, I mean, listen, you're not supposed to eat pork much less feed pigs. This would have been a disgrace. But he had reached a point of being so low that the job he got actually dealt with pigs and he was longing to feed with the, he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. I'm a Jewish boy that used to have everything and now I'm feeding pigs. You'd think he'd come home now, wouldn't you? Surely he's coming home. Mm. Not yet. Number three. The third explosion is poverty must be experienced. They have to experience true poverty. And almost no one growing up in a North American continent has ever experienced third world standard poverty. My son, Ezekiel at 18, thinks poverty is not having a car. Yet. Like, Dad, come on, everybody's got a car. I'm like, you know, we just got back from Vanuatu. Another kid in that country's got a car. <laughs> and again, it, it, it's hard being a preacher's kid. You always got to get your name from the pulpit. So please, don't believe everything I say, okay? <laughs> no, he, he doesn't believe that like I said it. But it's a, it's a good way of, of illustrating the fact that truly, our kids don't know what poverty is. I think mine do now that I've taken them to a third world country. 
Because now that they've been there, they come back, their attitudes are completely different. And I, my hat's off to Nick Cantrell and Mary Beth and, 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 and Cassie and Zoe and Chloe and everybody else that went to Vanuatu and came back. And I'm sure they're not perfect with this thing, but I think this message is helping to remind them that maybe sometimes what they want is not actually what they need. That sometimes we need to humble ourselves and realize we're not poor, we're rich by the world's standards, even if we don't have what we think we should have. The will for wander has to experience poverty. Notice how he does experience that poverty. The Bible tells us in verse 16, look at it. And he was longing to be fed with the pig pods that the pigs ate. So in other words, he's got his face in a pig trough in pig's poop. His face is laying in pig's poop. I mean, if your face was in cow dung, I mean, you'd be, would you not say that'd be about the lowest you could get? Was your face in a bunch of a poop from a pig or a cow? You say, that's gross, Eric. Well, that's what he's doing. I mean, he's longing to be fed with the pigs. The willful wanderer is a fool that never fears until he falls. The willful wanderer is the rebel that never rests until he hits rock bottom. And I would say he's finally hit rock bottom. The willful wanderer is not coming home until they're carrying a framed certificate that they're a graduate of the school of hard knocks. And here's the certificate to prove it. The pockets are empty. The party is over. The poverty is experienced. Please listen. Maybe you're here this morning and and you're having a hard time at the moment. You're still feeling that you're not that bad. That's okay. Maybe you're not that bad. But I don't know where you're at in your marriage, in your life with God, in your walk with God, in your relationship to the church, in your relationship to others. I'm not sure where you're at with alcohol and other addictive substances. And I'm not sure what it is in your life that is, that is pulling you away from God and causing you to wander away from what you know is right. Whatever that is, I'm asking you to listen. Are you ready to come home? Are you ready to come home? Have you wandered far enough? Do you see where this is going? Are you ready to humble your stubborn heart? Are you ready for a change in your life? That's the message. That's the message of the series. Now you may ask, well, well, if I was ready, can a willful wanderer come home? Can, can, can I make it back to where I need to be? And the answer is yes, absolutely yes. But there is a biblical word that must become true in your life. It starts with an R. It's the best word for any wanderer. It's the first step back home, and it's the word what? Repent. It's one of the greatest words in all the Bible. It's one that we're afraid of, but it's one that I do more of than I've ever done before. I've done more repenting since I got saved than I ever did when I got saved. I repented this morning of some sin in my life. I repented this morning on my face before God of something that I did not feel comfortable with at all, even getting in this pulpit and still having that as unconfessed. I mean, I'm telling you, repentance is a very alive part of my life. I do it all the time, every day. I never want to become a wanderer, so I keep short accounts with God. It's important. You see, there's, 
two ways the willful wander repents, and the first way is this, their mind awakens to reality. Verse 17 says this, when he came to himself, it's like a light went on. His face is in the pig's trough. He is eating with the pigs, and the light comes on. What am I doing? The New American Standard Version says it like this. When he came to his senses. It happens in a moment. The light bulb goes on. Like It happened in the, in the in, if you saw the movie, you saw he was sitting at a bar with a fifth of whiskey. And it's like it came on. He said, what am I doing? He came this close to committing an affair. And he looked at a picture of his wife and his two beautiful little girls. And he said, this is crazy. I'm trading diamonds for dirt. I'm an idiot. And everything changed. And the movie had a happy ending because the wanderer came back home. All of a sudden, the wanderer says, sin doesn't satisfy and selfishness doesn't work. I've tried both. And he awakens his mind to the reality of where he is. That's why the Amazing Grace song is so amazing. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wrench like me. I once was lost, but now I'm fine. Found was blind. I was blind. But, but. <laughs> now I see. I get it. My eyes have been opened. Number two, the second way the willful wanderer repents is they submit to reality. Their will submits to the reality of where they were headed. Look at verse 17, 18, and 19 and see it played out in the prodigal son's life. Verse 17 says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish with hunger. Notice notice his will here. I will arise. Everything's changing now. I will. My will is changing. I don't want what I want. I'm going to go to my father. And I will say to him, notice the repentance here, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And by the way, whenever you come home, you realize you've sinned before not just God, but you've sinned also before your family. And you not just repent to God, you repent to those that you have offended and those you have sinned against. I've sinned against heaven, but I've sinned against earth. Some of us need to Not just have a private confession, but we need to go to the one that we have wandered from and seek forgiveness. He says here that I've sinned against heaven. I've I've sinned against you, God, uh, Father. I am no longer worthy to be your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he begins to realize, wait a minute, the reality of my sin, where it's led me, what it's done to me, how it's hurt me. I'm going home. I'm casting myself on my Father's mercy. I'm going to repent with godly repentance. Now, here's the problem. How do you tell if it's godly? Because, you know, I've talked to a lot of people who are praying for wanderers, and they're like, you know, this is like the 50th time. They keep saying they're sorry. Well, they're grieved. They have regret. You see, whenever anybody says, I'm sorry, 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 I'm sorry. That's grieving the moment 
and that is regret for what they did, but that is not repentance. You see, there is an, a worldly repentance, and there is a godly repentance. Big difference. Sometimes heaven or hell, difference. In fact, Scripture is very clear in 2 Corinthians. Look on the screen at this verse. This is very clear. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved. I mean, I've heard you say I'm sorry a thousand times. I mean, I've heard you say you're not going to drink anymore a thousand times. I've heard you say I'm not going to do this or do that. I've heard that. I'm not, I'm not rejoicing because you're saying you're sorry again. But because you were grieved into repenting. This is godly repentance. For you felt a godly grief. So that you suffered no loss to us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to coming home. To salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief grief produces death. How clear is that? So what am I saying? I'm saying real repentance versus regret. There's a difference. We're, We're seeing here in this story real repentance. And so finally, in closing, and at the end of your notes, what will I find when I come home? What will I find? And oh, I'm running to your arms. I'm running to your arms. The riches of your love will always be enough. Nothing compares to your embrace. Number one, the first thing you'll find when you come home is you come home to a healing embrace. You will come home to a healing embrace. Look, if you would please, at verse 20 in our text, it's there. You'll see it. It's clear. And he arose, and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And it's not there, but on the lips. He was an Italian Jew. (laughs) Kissed him on the lips. I mean, my son Ezekiel is not too excited anymore about daddy's kisses. But every now and then I get one in on the lips. I'm 52, my dad's 76, and I still kiss him on the lips. And I have a feeling when I get to heaven, God might kiss me on the lips. I'm not saying he will, but if he does, I'm taking it. I'm going to take that kiss, and I'm going to take that hug from my heavenly father. Can I tell you what this prodigal, what he enjoyed? He enjoyed a hug like no other hug he had ever gotten before. I mean, you think, you know, this is a hug. Logan, come here. This is just a normal hug. You know, what's up? This is like a hug. You know, what's up, bro? You ever seen one of those? Kind of like, you know, just kind of, that's it. It's just like, you know, I love you. But man, hey, whoa! I love you, Logan. It's incredible. No, don't worry. I won't kiss you. All right. <laughs> He's like, whoa. That's all he was thinking about was all the kisses next. Oh. Lord have mercy. The college president is kissing me on the lips. Mom, it was a sermon illustration, I promise. You know. The difference between the first hug, what's up? And the second hug was the embrace of a father whose son has come home. It's a hug like no other hug. You know why? Because in this story, the father is a picture of the heavenly father. And you are a picture of the prodigal son. 
And you are loved with an everlasting love. And nothing can separate you from that love. No matter where you've been. No matter what you've done. God loves you. And he wants to become your father. And he wants you to come home. So number one, you will find healing. Embrace number two, you will come home to total forgiveness. Total forgiveness? Yep. Look at it. Verse 21, you'll see it. At least I think you will. Look at it. And the son said to him. Now here's what the son says. You ready? You look and hear it. Father, I'm so sorry. Father, I don't know why you're so happy. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned before you. So he says exactly what he said he would say. There it is, repeated. Father, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And you'll notice what the father says. Well, son, it's going to take a while for mom and I to get used to this. Now you can come home under these restrictions. We'll give you a couple of weeks to see if you do right. Here's the rule book. But if not, you're out on your can. I mean, that's what it says, right? You say it there. No, that's what you say. But that's not what he said. That's what I say. That's what we say. We got all these, you know, all the speeches. He doesn't have a speech. In fact, he doesn't even talk to his son after his son says all that. He doesn't even respond. Look at it. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father says to the servant, Wait a minute. No, no. He's not talking to the servant. He's talking to you. I'm not even going to respond to that. Here's my response, the father says. He says to his servant, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. You know what that is? That's total forgiveness. And before you start giving your theological reasons why, well, you can't forget, you can't do... Okay, I understand. There are... There's... There are scars that sin leaves, and and there's things we we have a hard time forgetting. I understand that, but you know what? That does not mean you cannot totally forgive someone. We're human. We struggle at times. But with God's help, with God's help, and this story, and this message, and an understanding of what God's done for us, when we understand how much God's forgiven us, it's not so hard to forgive somebody else. You come home to total forgiveness. Number three, you come home to a celebration of your return in your honor. Are you serious? What kind of celebration is it? Well, look at this one in verse number 23. It's pretty incredible. He says, but the father says to the servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on and they put a ring in his hands, used on his feet. Verse 23, and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. The prodigal kicks off a party in his honor. By coming back home. How do you like that? That's why I'm so passionate about energy in the church. I'm so passionate about it. I'm not going to stop until I fall dead of a heart attack because of too much passion. I'm not going to stop. I don't believe church is a funeral service. I don't think worship is shoulders up. I don't think when somebody gets baptized, we ought to say, oh, that was nice, they got wet. I think when somebody is buried in the likeness of his death and raised in the likeness of his resurrection, that's something to shout about and celebrate. And I think that every time we worship and we sing about God and all he's done for us, it ought to do something in our hearts. And I think when a man preaches about God, he ought to get excited about it. 
And he ought to think about the glory of God. And so I don't, I don't, I'm going to preach with passion. Now sometimes I'm going to, I'm going to be quiet and I'll be philosophical and, and I'm not against that. And I know this is my personality. And so not everybody has to be me. I understand that, but you're stuck with me. Sorry. And so this is the way it is. You got a raging Cajun from New Orleans, Louisiana that once was lost, but now he's found was blind. But I, I, I don't, I don't dot every I, I don't cross every T. I don't, I don't read, uh, you know, five books a week. All I do is just, I just know that God saved me. He loves me. He redeemed me. And I, I, I don't deserve any of this, but he gave it to me. And that's something to be excited about. Celebration. This is a resurrection church, you know. God's not dead. He's surely alive. He's living on the inside. Rolling, rolling, rolling. Vince, where you at, man? I love that song, God's Not Dead. I love it when they, you know, it kind of gets quiet and then he goes, God's not dead. He's surely alive. He's living on the inside. You know. You ever seen that part? It's really cool, man. It's like you think it's getting quiet. Three people have a heart attack. You know, it's great. I mean, they're saved. They're going to heaven. It's just great. Number four, you can come to a future. You come home to a future filled with hope. And we're done. Look at verse 24. For this, my son, was dead. Not much future in that, is there? Think about it. Not much. This, my son, was dead. But read, the, read on. This, my son, was dead and is alive. Then notice the next phrase. He was lost. Not much future in that, is there? Hey, you die lost, you go to hell. Did you hear me? If you die lost... You spend an eternity in hell. But, but look at the rest of the verse. And was lost and is found. So I want you to think about that. I mean, he was, what's the difference between this? Dead and lost, alive and found. I'll tell you what the difference is. A celebration. A celebration. I once was lost, but now I am found. Was blind, but now I see. Every head bowed, every eye closed. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I close this service out with an invitation, a call to the wanderer, not just the wanderer that's far in the far country, but I, I, I call out the wanderer who's in the building. I call out the wanderer who's, you've come this far. You're here. You made it to church. And God is working in an area of your life that you've been playing with fire. And, and you're starting to see this is leading to a really bad place. And, and, and you're tired of your sin and you want to come home before it gets worse. I don't know that anybody in the building right now is in the pig's pen, but some of you will be if you're not careful. So I'm asking you to consider coming home. It could be time right now. When is it time? Well, it's time, yes, in in his time, but when is his time? I wonder if it could be today, this morning. 
I think in a series like this, in a sermon like this, it's a really good time to come and either pray that God would help you and strengthen you in your wandering, or number two, pray for a wanderer in your family. I just want to make the altar available. Father, I love you, and I I don't know how to end this series any other way but to celebrate what you're going to do. Lord, I believe even just this morning getting that letter from prison and hearing about a young man that is reaching out to a camp preacher, that he was called to the mission field, but three prison stints later, he's coming home. Three prison stints later, still sitting in a jail cell, he's saying, can you send me a book? Can you, can you, can you be my friend? I'm reaching out. When I get out, I, I need help. I need direction. Father, I believe that is where many of us are. We just need to come home. And we need to look at that as a, even a sign of just your leadership in, in this series. So, Father, touch our lives and change our lives. Bring us back home. Bring us to repentance. Bring us to humility. Father, may we set our selfish, stubborn ways at this altar and leave behind the things that have held us back. Oh, God, restore marriages. Restore children back home. Lord, empty prisons and jail cells. Father, I call upon the name of Jesus to come into, into, the, into the jail cells and into the skid rows, into the rehabs of this county and bring back the wanderer. Oh, I pray, God, that we would see a revival of those that are getting, that have been far away and they're coming home. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.